Hey everyone, welcome back to the Clergy Suite. I'm Rabbi Dara Frimmer, and I am sitting here today at the table with Rabbi Zoe Klein-Miles. Hello. And Diane Shader-Smith. Hello. Hey, Diane. Diane is a former member of Temple Isaiah, and uh, most importantly right now, our upcoming speaker on Thursday, February 13th at 7 p.m., where she will be in partnership with Isaiah Women, our sisterhood, um, having a conversation and a book signing about Salt in My Soul, An Unfinished Life, written by her daughter, Mallory Smith, of Blessed Memory. And we are here today to talk with her and to talk with Rabbi Zoe Klein-Miles, our Director of Adult Education and Engagement, always. Uh, to sort of understand who who Diane is, who her daughter was, and um, why this is a really important event and um, moment in Isaiah's calendar that we hope that you'll join us for. Can you start also with just a little bit about um, Mallory? Just some descriptors too of um, who she was growing up. What were her characteristics? Well, I'll start. I'll start with the brag stuff. <laughs> she was a three-sport varsity athlete in high school. She played volleyball, water polo. And she swam, and she was a straight-A student. She went to Stanford and graduated Phi Beta Kappa. And in terms of her personality, she seemed to have an innate understanding that she had a critical illness, and therefore it would be a waste of her precious moments to sweat the small stuff. And I think she felt that she had so much drama in her life with her medical stuff that she made a point of avoiding any confrontation or any drama. And she was beloved by all. She had more friends than anybody um, she made friends in her academic classes, on her sports teams, mm-hmm. when she did any kind of extracurricular activity. Wherever she went, she cultivated community. And even one of the places she developed a tremendous community was in the hospital. And she writes a lot about that, when your hospital becomes your second home. Wow. And she would call it a home. Yeah. So this this book, is it's not something that you knew she was writing, right? You found it posthumously. Tell us about how this book came about. Well, Mallory was writing in her journal constantly. She started when she was about nine in Spiral Bound Notebooks, the childlike diaries of a young girl. And then when she turned 15, she started working on her computer and she would bang away furiously. And I always would tell people, oh God, I don't ever want to read that collection of writings because (laughs) we would have a fight and she would storm out of the room. And then I would think, "Uh uh-oh, and then she's in there banging away. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Documenting every word that you said. Yes, and so I used to try to break into her journal uh, many different times, but I I never found it. I could never never find it. I could never get a glimpse of it. And she wrote for 10 years, and then when we were living in Pittsburgh the last year of her life, when we went there to get a transplant for her, she gave me the password, and she said, I don't want you to open it now, Mom, but if something happens to me, I want you to have it, but you have to promise me you won't look. And at that point, she was sick, and we were worrying about her life and death. I wasn't really thinking about the journal. Mm-hmm. And she died on a Wednesday, and the memorial was that Saturday. And so that Saturday morning, I opened it up, and I was looking yeah. to find things that I could say about her using her words. And I couldn't believe how much material she had written, 2,500 pages. Wow. And from there... We pulled 300. I started with 350, and then ultimately they had us whittle it away to 300. And it was very hard to decide which entries to include because there was just so much good material. And even now when I give talks, sometimes I include other material that's not in the book because Mm -hmm. I realize there's just so much material to work with. And was the arc of the story clear in terms of 2,500 pages, you said, of material? Um, you could tell, I imagine, many different stories. Uh, There's many different stories, and what's what's happened as I've been on this book tour is that 
I started with sort of one direction with the talks and over time I have created a library of talks that focus on different parts of her life and her writing because she was extraordinary and quite prolific and her insights are just so remarkable and she's very inspiring so mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to to move when you're talking about her life and her story and her writing so each time I try to pick the talk that's most relevant to the people in the audience. And do you have the one for Thursday? Well, it's actually going to be a hybrid because I assume there will be some things about the fact that she went to preschool here mm -hmm. that I wouldn't necessarily include in other places. So what I try to do is keep the overarching arc when I speak and then bring in anecdotes that are relevant to the audience. It's also one day before Valentine's Day, so I wonder if... Uh, what does this story what does this story have to do with love for you? Well, one of the things Mallory writes in her journal that is in the book is that I taught her to prioritize love and she had love of family. She was close with Mark, my husband, and Micah, her brother, and me. She had lots of beloved friends and every conversation ended with love you, love you, love you. Mm. So she had wonderful, loving female friendships and she had a bunch of different boyfriends, and each one of them loved her very dearly. And in the end, she was with a man named Jack, who once they met, they were together from that point on, and he was there until the very end. And so she was able to experience love in all of its various dimensions. So I think it's very appropriate it sounds like for it. Valentine's Day. Well, it sounds like she had also um, an awareness from a very young age that she had cystic fibrosis. Is that correct? Yes. And so she grew up with an orientation to the world around what living with chronic illness meant. And I think you had said earlier, um, she knew that there was no need to be more complicated if she had more than enough complication. Right. And one of the things when you asked me to describe her, I, I gave you all the great accolades. You know, she was valedictorian. She was always chosen to give the speech. But in reality, she had a lot of issues that she does write about and I do speak about that are much more intense one of the things she cared deeply about was the insurance obstacles and access to health care, issues that people across the country dealt with. And she wrote a piece that I did not include in the book called When Your President Wants You Dead because she was quite liberal and she wanted everybody to have access to insurance. She didn't want people with pre-existing conditions to be discriminated against. And I thought, well, I don't want to alienate half the country when this book comes out, so I didn't include it. But I do talk about it in my talk, and she talks about the opioid epidemic and the need for balance and wow. um, the problem with having an invisible illness. And these issues are not just relevant to those with CF. So many people have invisible illness, which encompasses physical issues like being deaf or having irritable bowel syndrome or having diabetes, but then also all of the mental and emotional disorders, yeah. fear, depression, anxiety, bipolar all of those issues, she addresses them as well. So I think there's just something for everybody wow. within the pages. So you've done a lot of advocacy work around CF, and you've raised over $5 million, I mm -hmm. believe, for mm -hmm. is that for research? Yeah. What is Mallory's connection with phage therapy, which is could be instrumental in helping to heal and cure? So when it was clear that Mallory's bacteria, which is called Burkholderia cepacea, and the short name is cepacea, was becoming resistant to all the treatments. My husband was looking for all kinds of alternatives, and one of the things he looked at was pig's lungs, but that was far off, and they talked about gene therapy, but that was too far off. 
And then he found a case of somebody who was treated with phage therapy. And phage therapy is using bacteriophages from the sewage and the rice paddies and the mud that are used to kill bacteria. What, and, what does the word phage mean? What does the word phage Well, it's this, I don't know the technical term, oh, okay. but the bacteriophage, <laughs> it's a virus. Oh, and the important okay. thing to know is that it's a virus that you find in, that is a naturally occurring organism. And the reason why that's important is because 100 years ago, they were doing a lot of work with phage therapy. And then Dr. Flory invented, created penicillin, and there were great um, financial incentives with patentable drugs. And all of a sudden, phage therapy, which because you were using living organisms that couldn't be patented, there was a financial disincentive to continue work as they discovered how effective oh. antibiotics could be. So the United States virtually stopped work on it. And then Mark had read about one case of a woman named Stephanie Strathy, who had, was she is an epidemiologist, her husband was not a sick man, had no chronic illness. They went on a trip to a third world country, I think, and he contracted a superbug. And he was days away from dying back in San Diego when they brought him back and he was in a coma, nothing was working, and Stephanie wanted to try phage therapy. And because of her background in epidemiology, she knew how to find the treatment, and she treated and cured her husband. And that was wow. really the only case that Mark had seen or knew about. And based on that one case, he, this was back in 2016, he started reaching out to people. But it fell on deaf ears. Not one doctor in one of the hospitals knew anything about it. Nobody wanted to help. He did locate a doctor in Canada named Dr. John Dennis, who said, if you can get me some money, I can work on a phage prep. But... It didn't happen. Anyway, long story short, when Mallory was readmitted into the hospital post-transplant, when she was really at the end of her life, Mark asked UPMC, the treating center, to help us, and the United States Navy got involved. And I won't tell you any more than that because you got to read the talk. Gotta, secret. You got to read the book, and you got to or come to the talk <laughs> to yeah. hear. Um, and just to uh, show you the advantage of having a computer open in front of you, phage coming from uh, the root in Greek, phagin means to devour. Oh, okay. Well, they call it. Interesting. They call it um, bacterio. Uh, they call it bacteriophage mm -hmm. virus, and they call it back. It's a bacteria killing agent. I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to save them for the talk. Okay, good. <laughs> I better make sure my husband comes. He's really the science guy, and this is really his his um, amazing, amazing, amazing work. Because of him, many people have been saved, and many, many, many more will. Wow. And I'm curious, you know, it's funny, you give your husband credit for being the science guy in the family. Um, and I'm wondering if you ever imagined that your role in caring for Mallory and raising her as your daughter would turn out to be um, the person who told her story. Well, no, I did not ever think that. And the funny thing is that um, when I saw Hamilton for the first time, it was in March of 2019, this past March, when the book had just come out, and I was in New York on book tour for launch week, and everybody had always talked about it, and I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to worry about getting tickets. I'm so busy, but I happened to be walking by the theater, and I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to go in, and I was seeing my nephew later that day, and I said, do you have two tickets? And they had, like, third row center, and I called my nephew, and I said, you want to go see Hamilton with me? And when they sang the song who lives who dies who tells your story it was literally like i mm. had that epiphany that you just mentioned that this is now going to be the most important work that i do i have a really i had a really thriving career i i kept one client and got rid of all the rest um because i really see that mallory's work 
has really helped so many people. And each time I talk, people are inspired, people want to do more. And so it's propelling me forward. And the documentary is also going to be important because so many people don't know about phage therapy. And I think Mallory's story, which sort of teaches inspiration and um, resilience, and it shows so much perspective and she has such great insights that there's just a lot that I can do using her material to help others. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, about um, not that we want to predict what people will be able to walk away with at 9 p.m. at the end of your talk on February 13th, uh, or maybe by the end of the book that they can get on Amazon or on audible.com, wherever they want to find it. Um, But in your experience, what are some of the possibilities that when people finish listening to you tell the story of Mallory's life or when they finish reading the book, what happens next to them? Well, a number of things happened. So for people who are dealing with a superbug or chronic illness, they just hone right in on phage and want to talk about that and want to know how to get that. The people who are struggling with insurance want to know how we fought the insurance company. The people who are dealing with opioids want to talk more about that part of the story that I address, about the problem with the opioid epidemic, well-meaning doctors and nurses who are trying to not create additional addicts during this time where we have this catastrophic epidemic and they're trying to regain control over prescribing patterns, they're under-medicating patients like Mallory. And that's really a very fine line. And so the need for balance is something that a lot of people want to talk about. One of the things I start with in every talk is what I did as a parent to protect Mallory in the hospital that would get me into so much trouble. And Mm. When I I just recently gave a talk in Texas last week, actually, and I mean, it was just so random. A woman came up to me in the bathroom afterwards, and she said, you know, I know you said so many important things in the talk, but all I keep thinking about is the fact that you would block the door to your daughter's room to get her sleep because my father was just in the ICU and nobody was letting him get any sleep. And so there's a whole thing about that. And what I do realize is that, like I said, there's something for everyone, and people really do focus on different parts of her story. Right. And some of it might just be about what it means to protect your loved ones. Yes. Um, I think people I think people see what I'm doing and it reminds them to A, not sweat the small stuff, B, focus on what's really important, and C, find a passion that you care about. Because what I tell people is it's like I don't feel like I'm working whenever I'm doing anything related to Mallory or her legacy or anything with phage therapy because it just – it's an extension of the parenting I did for her just in a very different way. Beautiful. Um, I know it's, uh, it's an amazing honor to be able to serve your daughter and to lift up her memory as a blessing. I'm wondering if you ever get a sense of what she would say to you today as she watches you tell her story and do this work. She would roll her eyes without a question of a doubt. She would say, mom, stop bragging about me. (laughs) Uh, well, we say, as, as you know, um, may her memory be a blessing, um, which really moves from just sharing stories to um, changing the world as a result of what she taught you, which is clear that so much of this book and of the work you're doing um, is transforming lives. Well, one of the doctors, one of the head doctors who set up a Grand Rounds talk, because I do a lot of Grand Rounds talk, he said, Mallory's book will change the way I practice medicine forever. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then I had a a pediatric fellow at Boston Children's Hospital say, write to me. I'm going to have it all in writing. Mm -hmm. And she wrote and said, I learned more from reading Mallory's book than I did in medical school, residency, or fellowship to date. So what propels me forward is channeling Mallory's spirit and reading the notes from people 
that I realize it's really making a difference. The crazy part of all this is I've been doing this for almost a year. I've given more than 100 talks. It's been on the LA Times bestseller list. And I'm constantly walking into places where people have never heard of the book. They've never heard of phage therapy. And I think, oh, my goodness, how how long do I have to keep speaking? Because what I always say is I speak to get people to read the book. That's the reason I speak. Um, and I think people are looking for stories of hope and stories of inspiration. And Mallory's story is quite compelling. And that I know. I, I, I've done this talk so many times, and I've never once ever, ever looked into an audience and seen anybody looking at a cell phone, which is really the, yeah. That's a really the great barometer measure. of success mm. that I judge this initiative that I'm doing. By. Yeah. Yeah. So again, just to review for anyone who is listening and interested, uh, the book is called Salt in My Soul, An Unfinished Life by Mallory Smith. And Diane Shader Smith, her mother, will be at Temple Isaiah on Thursday, February 13th from 7 to 9 p.m. in the Temple Isaiah Social Hall. This event is co-sponsored by our sisterhood, Isaiah Women. And there will be copies of the book available. And I should mention that we're donating all profits from the book 100% and um, that's been a great joy to be able to raise money for phage therapy. We raise money in her lifetime but we're also have raised enough to fund two different labs that are doing important work now and we also donate to other charities that when they sponsor an event you know I did Stanford Children's Hospital and we gave them the proceeds of the sales there so Mallory is continuing to do good work mm. with yeah. her story amazing with her story yeah Thank you. So we hope to see you at the event, and uh, you can RSVP. Online. You can uh, RSVP online. Online. If you have any questions, you can talk to Rabbi Zoe Klein-Miles, our Director of Adult Education and Engagement. Uh, and that book is available right now. As you finish up this podcast and listening to this episode, uh, you can click on over to Amazon, to Audible, anywhere else they can buy it, at the local uh, bookstore. Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. Do they still exist? Well, yes. they do online. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. Um, but Diane, thank you, um, thank you for your words today and for the work that you do. Uh, and may you be strengthened for each of these talks that you give and for the documentary soon to come out. Um, may it continue to give back to you as much as you give to it. Thank you. Thank you.